that during a time in the first century when the people were occupied, when they were living under a rule that was not their own, they were thought to be in their own land, but they couldn't even secure their own ruler, that during a time when in order for them to speak to the people who were in power, they had to become multilingual, in order to read and write, that during a time like that, that Jesus chooses to communicate to the crowds in a language of simplicity. It seems in a way counterintuitive because it doesn't rise up a movement that counteracts the political wave of what the community was experiencing, at least not in the way that we think that it does. But the question is, is there something bigger going on here? Is Jesus not so much interested in quelling the political movement as he is in building something in this community? I don't know. But he talks to the crowds in the language of simplicity in the language of story, in the language of love. And in this language of crops and seeds, he validates the experience that they have. And he does that when he says, nothing is going to be in secret that will not come to light. In other words, if there's things that you are experiencing that are negative, they will eventually come out into the open. You don't need to hide from the truth, is what he's saying. So he validates their experiences, but he challenges them in such a way that doesn't sort of call forth their national identity. It doesn't sort of call forth a system of policy. But he offers them something else, these pictures of the kingdom of God. And they seem sort of crazy in a way. They seem sort of meaningless, almost, disconnected from the very realities and the hardships that these folks were facing. Imagine if you came with, an, with a very difficult struggle to chat with Jesus, and he gave you images of a mustard seed. What would that feel like? And yet, is there a deeper wisdom that's going on here? You see, when he looks at the people and he talks about light, He recognizes that light is something that needs to be used for everyone. He says, don't put it under a bed. It's almost a joke that he's making here. And when you read it in Greek, it actually becomes a little bit more distinct because you can see that in one of the only gospel readings that we actually have the word for bed. So Jesus is saying, don't put the light under the bed. It's almost ridiculous. Not only is it a waste of resources in a very practical sense, but it serves no purpose for anyone. And so then Jesus says, put it on a lampstand so that everyone could see it. And then through these parables, Jesus starts to put together to sort of carve this way of coming to understand the common good. He doesn't say that. He doesn't use that word. But we've inherited that phrase, and I want us to put that phrase over the layer of these texts 
and see if that's something that he's trying to cultivate here. He doesn't give them idealizations or principles, but he gives them images, narrative, stories, as a way of communicating truth that they can take back home with them and practice even as they do their daily work of working within the land. The first image is the one who sets the seed in the ground and then goes away, not even sure if the seed will grow. The sower keeps coming back to check on things, but the growth, it just comes. It happens hidden in the earth, and nobody really has any reasoning or understanding of how that happens. The gardener waits and stewards, and then eventually collects the harvest for the table. The second parable is, of course, one of our favorites, the mustard seed. And you'll remember that we had a lovely collage earlier um, in the year that illustrated that parable. The mustard seed, which is the smallest of seeds and then eventually grows up so big that it puts forth branches for the birds of the air. Almost seems a little understated when you consider how dire the situation was of people living within the first century. When you consider that they were living under military rule with Romans and centurions who would have been around their village marching, walking, making sure that everything is okay. Almost seems a little understated when you consider that 150 years before this moment that Jesus came, that they were violated by a group of Greeks that came through their temple and actually destroyed their most holy places. You see, this imagery of the kingdom of God is a relentless pursuit of the common good. Last week, we talked a lot about what scripture should not be used for. This week, we're seeing the flip side. How can our sacred text be pulled into the conversation of our culture at large and be used and shared amongst the people that we live our everyday lives with? The kingdom of God is in relentless pursuit of the common good. And I want to say that again because I think that it's deeply important for us to understand this. At any time that we hear scripture being read or any time that we hear our faith being talked about, we need to be clear that when Jesus was talking to his people, giving them a communication of the kingdom, that the kingdom of God is in relentless pursuit of the common good. And I will add to that, and as we see here illustrated in these parables, not just for the good of humans. The kingdom of God, as it it turns out, is not human-centered. But it is also good for the created order itself, which also needs refuge and protection and the ability to live in peace on this planet. It seems so easy when we read it right here, or at least so simple, maybe not easy. And we think, how hard can it be to sow a mustard seed? 
How hard can it be to go and plant a seed and then just go to sleep while it grows? And perhaps in our world of Amazon and the internet and all of these other instant things that come to us, we have forgotten about one important thing, and that is time. You see, good cannot be instantaneous. The kingdom of God is in relentless pursuit of the common good, but that takes time. From seed to tree, and not just a tree, but a tree that is actually big enough for the birds to dwell in, is a very, very long time. From seed to harvest is not just a few days or even a few weeks, but it's the better part of a year. The time that it takes to tend the growth of the common good cannot be underestimated. The patience, the tender waiting, the watching while the seasons happen and still the end has not arrived, the mitigating of the pests that come to threaten the growth, the caring for what it is that needs to be fed and nurtured as the seed is growing. Could it be that Jesus was teaching the crowds that the kingdom of God takes time? Could it be that Jesus was teaching the people that the kingdom of God was going to grow in its due season and not come by way of destroying what was already in place, but come by way of bringing something new? The one way that Jesus offers a great surprise to his listeners is that when he's talking about the kingdom, and keep in mind, they have images of what kingdom is. They lived under the leadership and the rule, or they didn't live, but they remember, they've heard stories about the leadership and the rule of David. They live under the time of King Herod. So they know what it means to have a kingdom. That's not a word that is lost on them. But instead of turning kingdom into a negative word, what Jesus does is use that word and talk about what it would be like if it was the kingdom of God. And in that vision, he's saying, it's not about the ownership of land. It's not about the implementation of nationalism. It's not about empire. You see, they already knew what occupation was like. But what they could not imagine was how does the world work for everyone? How do you grow something that's good? One of my undergraduate professors, who has since retired from Seattle Pacific University, said back in the mid-90s, that it is very, very easy to pay attention to what is evil, but it is very, very hard to characterize what is good. It's easy, she said, to make a movie about something that's bad, but how do you characterize a good person? How do you build a good 
hero within the context of the story. That, she said, was the greatest challenge that there was. And so rather than offering a map or a set of principles that sort of get the people from here to there, Jesus offers stories of lamps and seeds and trees. And he offers questions that you could revisit amongst your own life along the way. Is the light shining for everyone, or is it under the bed? Is the seed growing for the harvest, or have you forgotten about it and you haven't gone back to tend it? Is the bush housing the birds, or have you not yet planted that seed? You see, by this, you will see and know the kingdom of God. Um, Some of you had the chance to get to know Chris and Andrew Foster, who were worshiping in our congregation for a while while Chris was on sabbatical, actually while her husband was on sabbatical, and they have since... Um, They will since be moving on and returning to Rhode Island. But before she left, she passed on to me this book called The Book of Joy, which I uh, highly recommend. I don't know if any of you in here have read it. It's it's sort of a, it's not terribly recent. Uh, But it's a wonderful book about a conversation between Archbishop Desmond Tutu and the Dalai Lama. And they go and they spend a week uh, where the Dalai Lama lives up in the hills of India, um, and they have just this uh, incredible conversation about different principles within their faiths, but also just how does one live? How does one live within the world? And I want to read just a little bit from this book from both individuals to get sort of... um, to put some words behind what it is that we're talking about today. The Dalai Lama says this, With a deeper understanding of reality, you can go beyond appearances and relate to the world in a much more appropriate, effective, and realistic manner. I often give the example of how we should relate to our enemy, or to our neighbors. Imagine that you are living next door to a difficult neighbor. You can judge and criticize them, You can live in anxiety and despair that you will never have a good relationship with them. You can deny the problem or pretend that you do not have a difficult relationship with your neighbor. None of these is very helpful. Instead, you can accept that your relationship with your neighbor is difficult and you would like to improve it. You may or you may not succeed. All you can do is try. You cannot control your neighbor but you do have some control over your own thoughts and feelings. Instead of anger, instead of hatred, instead of fear, you can cultivate compassion for them. You can cultivate kindness toward them. You can cultivate warm-heartedness toward them. This is the only chance to improve the relationship. In time, maybe they will become less difficult. Maybe not. This you cannot control, but you will have your peace of mind, and you will be able to be joyful and happy whether your neighbor becomes less difficult or not. And then the Dalai Lama goes on to say this. You must not hate those who do harmful things. The compassionate thing 
is to do what you can to stop them, for they are harming themselves as well as those who suffer from their actions. As Archbishop Tutu has the chance to respond to this conversation, he says this, It's like muscles that have to be exercised in order for them to be strengthened. Sometimes we get too angry with ourselves, thinking that we ought to be perfect from the word go. But this being on earth is a time for us to learn to be good, to learn to be more loving, to learn to be more compassionate. And you learn not theoretically. You learn when something happens that tests you. They then go on to have a conversation about forgiveness, which is extremely powerful and which I will save for another sermon because it's quite intense for our purposes today. But friends, as we come to this season in our life as a culture, in our life as a church, in our life as raising up leaders who will serve and engage this next generation of Northminster, we need to be schooled, encouraged. We need to be reawakened and reimagine or develop our, our capacity for imagining what it means to be in relentless pursuit of the common good to learn the principles and the stories of the kingdom of God so that when we go into our culture, we have something to bring that can be planted so that it can be nourished for all. That's the story that Jesus brings, the people serving in the first century, dealing with difficult times, difficult leaders, difficult lives, and it's the story that he brings for me, for you today. Let us pray. Gracious and loving God, we thank you for these pictures of the kingdom, for how they affirm the complexities of our reality, that nothing that which is secret will, not be hid, will be hidden forever, but will come out to light, but also points us towards how it is that we build and grow and nourish and care for the common good. Help us to learn how to do that in a new way. We ask this in your name. Amen. Friends, let us stand.